You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. Since we just got through celebrating Easter, I thought it would be good to go back to Luke's account of the resurrection because, of course, you could never say everything about the resurrection, and it, it just seemed to me that after Easter it made sense to uh, explore a little more about the, 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 the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what that means for you what it means for you and for me. Uh, So we're going to be in Luke again, Luke 24, and we're going to look at verses 36 to 49. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, it's printed in the worship folder for you, and I'm going to ask if you're able, only if you're able, to please stand uh, for the reading of the gospel. This is God's word, and, uh, this, uh, and it opens up with, as they were talking, this, that's the disciples. Uh, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself, himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they, were still, while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high." This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, though we uh, have not seen you like your disciples did, we still believe in you. We trust in you and your death and resurrection for our standing before you. And I would pray, Lord, that you would teach us, including the preacher, Teach us more today about what your resurrection means in our lives, both right now and in the future. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, according to um, alternative medicine uh, advocate and new age advocate Deepak Chopra, Uh, The real Jesus was, quote, first and foremost, a teacher of higher consciousness and a guide to personal transformation. He was, says Chopra, quote, someone who rose to God consciousness and urged his disciples to follow the same path. The real Jesus 
says Chopra, was, quote, about finding God within on a daily basis. So in other words, right, you and I are as divine as Jesus, or Jesus is as divine as you and I are, and the Bible's teaching about resurrection is really a metaphor for you coming to uh, this uh, life-giving, life-exalting conscious recognition that you are in fact God. Now with all due respect, Uh, Deepak Chopra is doing what novelist and poet John Updike uh, said we must not do, and that is mock God with metaphor. Uh, That's exactly what Chopra is doing. He's he's mocking God with metaphor. Uh, Listen, go ahead and disbelieve in the resurrection if you choose to, but don't try to make it something that the writers of the Bible clearly say it is not. It's not presented as a metaphor of anything. I mean, seriously. Consider what we just read. In what sense was Jesus teaching there higher consciousness and personal transformation and encouraging his disciples to go within themselves to discover that they are in fact God in there when Jesus showed up in a locked room invited the disciples to observe and touch his hands and his feet, which we know from other accounts still bore the crucifixion scars, uh, and then ate a piece of broiled fish in front of them as further proof of the fact that he was real, that he's standing there in, in a flesh and blood body. This is not Jesus teaching higher consciousness. This is Jesus affirming the reality of his resurrection. Deepak Chopra and those like him are being deeply disingenuous when they torture uh, the resurrection accounts uh, to try to make them say something that they clearly are not saying. Christianity has from the beginning, as we just sung, right? We, we sung a version of the Apostles' Creed, the, the most ancient creed in our church. We have affirmed since the creed, and even before the creed, right? That, that Jesus was a real person, that he was really killed, that on the third day he was really raised from the dead, and he was raised in a body, right? Not, he wasn't a spirit, he wasn't a ghost, He had a new body. It was a body that could do things that his old one couldn't, like show up in a locked room. Uh, But nevertheless, a body, a flesh and blood body, a body that his disciples, uh, his friends recognized. They knew this was Jesus, even though they didn't understand or couldn't explain how it was that he was standing there fully alive in front of them when they knew he'd been killed three days earlier. What does that fact mean for you? What is the fact uh, that Jesus Christ, according to all the witnesses, rose bodily from the dead? What does that mean for you and for me in in a very practical way? Well, I think this text gives us four ways, the, four, four things that the resurrection means for you and for me. First, 
The resurrection means, uh, of Jesus means welcome and acceptance of unqualified people. The resurrection of Jesus means the welcome and acceptance of morally and spiritually unqualified people. I get this from verse 36. Um, you know, on more than one occasion as I was growing up as a boy, uh, my mom was forced to, to say that proverbial mom expression, just wait until your father gets home. Um, and those were kind of frightening words because uh, mom would, would not say them unless I had screwed up and I'd screwed up and I knew and I feared, I actually really feared what my dad would say or do uh, to me. Well, you know, I'm actually pretty certain, it may be a little bit speculative, but pretty certain that the disciples may have had a very similar fear uh, when they heard from the women and from the disciples that had been walking on the Emmaus Road that Jesus was on the loose and walking around. They may not have immediately conceived of that as 100% good news. Right? What if he shows up here? Right? What if he comes to us? Uh, what's he going to say to us? What will he do to us? Right? Because they knew they had royally screwed up. They were hiding in a locked room because they were afraid. And they had failed Jesus uh, significantly, right? Uh, they, they had slept through Jesus' ordeal in Gethsemane against Jesus' requests. They, they all abandoned him when he was arrested. Uh, Peter uh, denied even knowing Jesus three separate, on three separate occasions in order to save his skin. Uh, the disciples were like the Keystone Cops, right? Consistently disbelieving and disobeying and doubting Jesus. So I have no doubt that they that you know the, the news that Jesus was alive was was both good and maybe bad. What's he going to say? What's he going to do? Is he going to get a new group of disciples? <laughs> right? But when Jesus showed up, look at what he said. Right? Verse 36. Peace to you. Peace to you. I mean, don't just read that over. I mean, Jesus is saying that to this group of people who, uh, who had really let him down, who had really uh, uh, disappointed him. But what, the, what verse 36 shows is that Jesus wasn't mad at them and that Jesus did not condemn them for their sins because Jesus had been condemned for their sins. And, we, and, we, and the resurrection proves that the, that the condemnation of Jesus, right, his death on the cross for their sins was in fact accepted. It was effective and it was vindicated by God through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. What that means for you, if you're a Christian, uh, is quite simply, listen Christian, God is not mad at you. Uh, and, and you now should be, you can live with the joy of knowing that you are no longer under condemnation. You are no longer under condemnation and never will be. 
Jesus took your condemnation for you. And that means in the words of uh, Scotty Smith, PCA uh, pastor who, uh, whose prayers I read, uh, Scotty Smith says that means you don't have to perform and pretend your way through life. You can leave being awesome to Jesus. How freeing is that? To leave being awesome to Jesus. By the way, if you're not a Christian and you're listening to this here, uh, you need to know that this means that your failures, your sins, your moral uh, failures, your guilt, your shame, your regret, all of that does, should not keep you and will not keep you from the grace and the forgiveness that Jesus offers. In fact, it's the only thing any person ever brings to Jesus, Right? You don't come to Jesus with a, a good record. You come to Jesus with your, with, as a morally and spiritually absolutely unqualified person. The resurrection means you're welcomed and accepted. Second, the resurrection of G- Jesus means uh, that in the world, in a world short, short on hope, there really is a great, inextinguishable hope for Christians, right? In a world short on hope, there really is hope, inextinguishable hope for the Christian. This I'm getting from verses 37 to 43. This is where Jesus is establishing the reality of his bodily resurrection. Um, You know, when he shows up in that recreated body, not only was it evidence that Jesus was unleashed from the, from, the, from the grave, but when Jesus was unleashed from the grave, hope was unleashed into the world. Desmond Tutu, the late uh, South African bishop, served on a commission, I forget the name of the commission, that, that um, uh, studied um, the effects of apartheid on society and the, the you know the, the crimes that were committed uh, under the apartheid uh, regime the inhumanity that was demonstrated to people to people under those under that regime and afterwards you'd think you know two years of of this kind of testimony and and uh, of what was happened Tutu comes out and he's and he's and he is hopeful. He's full of hope. And he said this, um, for, those, for us who are Christians, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is proof positive that love is stronger than hate, that life is stronger than death, that light is stronger than darkness, and that laughter and joy and compassion and gentleness and truth, all these are so much stronger than their ghastly counterparts. That's hope. Because we see a lot of the ghastly counterparts, don't we? We're living with a lot of them today, right? As you live under the shadow of nuclear saber rattling by the despots of the world, as you deal with the poor choices that your loved ones have made, as you live with the anxiety of what your children 
and grandchildren are going to face in the future. As you face and live with bullying on social media that you can't control. As you try to get your mind around the diagnosis of your doctor that says you have a terminal disease. Whatever it is, as Christian, as a Christian, you know that all of these negative, hope, otherwise hope-crushing realities are going to be taken up by Jesus Christ and resolved and worked out in some mysterious but wonderful way for your good. Because, why do we know that? Because your king has died, but he didn't stay dead. He crashed through death and on the other side with his resurrection began a process, the process, his process of making all things new. You know, the risen, the Jesus is, is quoted saying that in the book of Revelation, behold, I am making all things new. That starts with his resurrection. Jesus' resurrection is God's down payment on your future. Your future where all wrongs will be righted, all injustices will meet with justice, all tears will be dried, and your body, like Jesus, will rise remade from your grave to live and to work and to run and to dance and to play and to hug on a renewed and recreated planet. Paradise restored. That's resurrection hope. You know, that hope is, is well illustrated by a couple of tombstones. I, um, tombstones I have not personally seen, but I've read about. Uh, the first one is the tombstone of Mel Blanc. Do you know that name? Mel Blanc is the uh, the man known was known as the man of a thousand voices. He was the man who voiced all the characters uh, in the Looney Tunes uh, cartoon pantheon uh, and beyond. Uh, amazing, amazing voice talent. Uh, and but uh, according to his will, Mel Blanc instructed that on his tombstone be, in, be engraved the phrase that he made uh, famous as the voice of Porky the pig, and I'm not going to do it, uh, but you, you know what that phrase is, and it's, that's all, folks. Um, now, imagine engraving that's all, folks, on your gravestone. Right? In a, now, in, in a way, that's cute, right? It's a kid, it's cute. But at the same time that it's cute, it's also, you, you know, you, you kind of go, yeah, it's cute, but man, that's dark, right? I mean, that is a pretty devastating statement of zero hope. Right? If your grave can speak, can say over your life, that's all, folks, then your life has no meaning and you have no hope. That's all, folks? Really? Compare that to uh, the, the other tombstone I've read about. Philip Yancey wrote about it. Tombstone of a friend's grandmother, a, a strong Christian woman in Louisiana. She requested that only one word be engraved on her tombstone, and that one word was 
waiting. Waiting. And what a contrast, right? Um, from that's all, folks, uh, to waiting, right? That one word, a potent reminder that the grave does not get the last word over your life, believer. Resurrection does. Her body is there waiting the resurrection of the dead when it will be reunited with her spirit uh, on a renewed planet. Uh, earth okay third the resurrection of Jesus means that you can trust God to do what God has promised to do uh, that's verses 44 to 47 uh, as Jesus refers to God's word right when he said everything about me written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled and it was Jesus is saying here two things, right? He's saying not only is the Old Testament all about me, and that's he's, when he says the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that's a Jewish way of referring to what we know as the Old Testament. So he's saying the, all, the, the, the whole of the Old Testament is about me. It speaks about me. Um, so he's saying that, but he's also saying that by by his coming into our world, the Son of God coming to planet Earth, living, dying, and being resurrected, by doing that, he has fulfilled everything God promised to his people through the centuries and written down in Scripture for our instruction. That's why Paul says in, about Jesus in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, uh, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. So what's that mean for you? It means for you that because of Jesus' resurrection, you can be confident that the process that started with Jesus' resurrection, that process of making all things new, that process which is not done yet, hardly done yet, right? Not, not done yet at all, which awaits fulfillment in the future, that you can be confident that God's gonna finish what he started as Christians have proclaimed through the centuries, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Everything must be and will be fulfilled. You can trust God on that. And the resurrection proves it. Fourth and finally, the resurrection of Jesus means not only will you have a wonderful future, right? But it also means you have a meaningful present. A meaningful present. Uh, that's verses 47, 48, and 49. Um, and I really want you to hear this. I'm really expanding on what I said briefly on the Easter Sunday sermon because we're in a time as, as I read and listen to podcasts, more and more I'm coming to the realization that people are really struggling with a sense of meaning in their lives. 
a sense that their life matters. Um, and I want you to know that as a believer in Jesus, the resurrection means you have a meaningful life right now. Um, notice the sort of the way this text moves. It's, it moves in big picture from sort of Jesus' accomplishments to your mission, right? And what's your mission? Well, it's, there it is in verse 47. Uh, Repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in Jesus' name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. That's Luke's version of what we call the Great Commission, which we're more familiar with from Matthew's account. But there it is. That's your mission. It's my mission. Repentance, proclaiming repentance for the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to every nation, starting in Jerusalem. Now, sometimes we forget about the mission part of resurrection. You know, we, we, we're all about forgiveness of sins, and forgiveness of sins is a great thing. Don't get me wrong, but if, if, if Jesus' death and resurrection was only about the forgiving of your sins, then your life would simply be about embracing that forgiveness and then moving forward, working as hard as you can to uh, avoid sinning in the future. All right? Uh, now, of course, as Christians, we seek to avoid sin. We're, we, you know, we... We, as the Bible says, we are to die to sin. We are to, um, you know, k- kill it uh, in our lives. But the life of following the resurrected Jesus is not simply a life of negatively avoiding sin. Too many people think that is what Christianity is. You know, we're sort of tiptoeing around trying to avoid sin. Yeah, we're avoiding sin, but that's, that's, it, it's much more than that. It's a life of positively loving God and loving our neighbors in every nation. And the best way we love our neighbors is to, in, to communicate to them, to proclaim to them in any way we can, word and deed, uh, that, that they must turn to Jesus in order to receive forgiveness of sins uh, and to know, uh, you know, the salvation that comes only uh, through Jesus. Um, see, our life, because, because Jesus was resurrected, right, and he's on the loose and he's, 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 he's at loose in the world, our life is busy, our life is active. It's a life of active engagement. We are following Jesus uh, out into a, a world that desperately needs to hear from him. Uh, and you are his agent. Um, remember, he's not only the Lord on Sunday. He's the Lord Monday through Saturday. Um, following the resurrected king uh, you follow him uh, in the power of the Spirit, 
right? The, he, Jesus told the disciples, wait in the city until you have received power from on high. He's referring to the Holy Spirit, his, Jesus' own spirit, uh, and, and they received that spirit and they went out then with, with that power. You have also, believer, received that spirit. You also have been clothed with the same spirit, clothed with power uh, from uh, on high. Uh, and so we go out in that power uh, and what do we do? We proclaim Jesus as the answer. We proclaim him as, as the one to whom every human being must turn. We, we confront every other pretension to power, every other thing out in the world that vies for our loyalty and our worship, we confront in the name of Jesus whether that's political power on the right or the left, whether it's economic power, military power, technological power, power of other religions, the power of popularity. How do you do that? Well, you can do it by going on missions trips. You can do it by verbally witnessing to your neighbors and to your coworkers as the Lord gives you an opportunity to be a witness of the truth of Jesus to them. Um, but that's not just it. This isn't a call for you to go to seminary. It's not a call for you to become a full-time vocational missionary. It's, it's not even a call for you to go on a missions trip. Um, but all of those things are good and right and important, right? Um, you know, go on a mission trip. Obviously, we need to, as the Lord gives us opportunity to verbally witness. But I, what I want you to also understand, and and this is this is this is where I'm expanding on what I said on Easter Sunday. You know, you also do this, as Paul said in that, in that famous chapter on the resurrection, First Corinthians 15. Um, Brian knows that from his ordination exams. You know, where do you go to learn about the resurrection? 1 Corinthians 15. It's the resurrection chapter. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says that you do that. You, you are proclaiming Jesus, the forgiveness of sin in Jesus' name as you go about your work the work that Jesus gave you to do. The work that you do, right? Everything we do, the Bible says, we are to do for the glory of God. Everything we do as believers, we do in the, you know, by the power of the Spirit. And what Paul says, he gets through this wonderful treatise on resurrection, then he says, okay, believers, what do you do? Go back to work. Go back to work confident in the knowledge that no amount of your time, no amount of your effort in your job, whether you're a mom or a dad at home, whether you're balancing a ledger book, whether you're a fireman, a policeman, a soldier, whether you're a lawyer, a doctor, a pipe fitter, an electrician, whatever you are doing by God's sovereign plan, right? You are his witness and none of your time and effort poured into that work is gonna be in vain, is gonna be wasted, right? As you do that work for the glory of God, as you, uh, as you do it um, in the, demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit, right? 
So you go about your work, whatever it is, with, with, with joy, with peace, with patience, with humility, kindness. Yeah, you do it honestly. You do it with integrity. You do it for the glory of God, which means you don't do it sh shoddily, right? But you do, you, do it, you do your work in a way that reflects well on the name of the one you serve, Jesus. You know, a great example of this is a story that C Sinclair Ferguson tells. Some of you know Sinclair Ferguson, a wonderful um, man whose accent I covet. He's from Scotland. Uh, theologian and pastor. Um, he was uh, a young man in business uh, working for a firm and he noticed uh, that there was a, uh, a woman in the typing pool and I probably have to explain typing pool. Um, there used to be when, when we used typewriters that all the typing was, was, was put into a typing pool. I even knew typing pools in my law firm. Uh, you know, big, vast bullpen full of mostly women uh, typing uh, documents. And, and Sinclair Ferguson, young, young businessman now, noticed that there was one woman who was clearly excelling in the typing pool. She was just, she was cranking out much more work than anybody else. She, her work was of great quality. She wasn't hanging around the water cooler. She was just, and, and she was delightful. And, and of course he notices her and, and he asks his boss, who is that? And what's her deal? You know, what's her deal? And he goes, oh yeah, her, she's a Christian. And he goes, what's that got to do with it? Right, he couldn't, he didn't get the idea, he had no idea, that, you know, Christian, typing well, you know. So he takes her out to lunch and she ends up converting him. And he, he says now, even today, he says, every time I go speak, he says, I'm hoping that uh, I'm looking around the audience and, and, and looking for, the, for elderly women uh, and, and, and just wondering if, if sometime in that crowd will be the woman uh, who, who, who brought him to faith in the Lord Jesus because she did her job to the glory of God. Now, we're not all gonna have that story, but that's just, it, it just shows you, friends, that you're on mission. You're on mission where you are, right? And, you're, and because of the resurrection, we know that no part of your time or effort in your job is gonna ever be wasted. And you don't go on mission alone. You're with, the Holy Spirit is with you. You're clothed with power from on high, and he's with you even now as we come to this table, as he leads us to this table, um, as uh, his invited guest. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus. Thank you for the love that sent him to us. Thank you for the commitment of Jesus to uh, the joy that was before him, which was us as he went to the cross. Um, Lord, thank you for crashing through death and letting us know that by the bodily resurrection of Jesus and letting us know what our future holds. And thankful, thank, thank you, Lord, that over our, none of our graves as believers will we ever have to say that's all folks um, because of the resurrection. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido, reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.